Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. What is going on, everybody? My name is Marco here with Service Legend, and uh, we have a special guest today. His name is Dennis Yu. We've done some things in the past, but uh, how's everything going? Good. I want to get this dollar a day training for you guys done because Mark and I are going to go eat some food and play some golf. <laughs> so for those who don't know, uh, Dennis is known for many, many things, uh, infamous for the dollar a day strategy, and specifically uh, on Facebook ads, and we're going to be going through for contractors exactly how you can set up dollar a day, some of the features and benefits, and what else might you do again? Well, you're going to see this as this incredible weapon. You're going to see some of these examples and by the end of this, you're going to have some ideas of how we would apply dollar a day to play a prank on your wife or <laughs> take care of a customer service issue or, you know, get a partnership in place, nailed all, all kinds of different applications of dollar a day that are very easy to use. And I think if we have enough time, we'll do some of them live. We'll actually create some dollar a day ads so you can see. Awesome. All right, well, let's go right into it. Yeah. Um, obviously, pay attention if you're a home service company. Um, if you're looking to go to the next level, this is obviously going to help you do so. Put away your phones, put away Facebook, and uh, we're going to keep it short and sweet, and we're not going to be flopped into this. Yep. Um, if you stick around to the end, we're actually going to be doing live examples on Facebook as well. Um, for even Cardinal, Cardinal Companies will put together some ads. Uh, so we're going to break right and show you guys exactly how to do it internally. Well, Facebook people talk about how big it is, but when we're talking about dollar a day, we're talking about micro-targeting. We used to be able to reach 4,000 people with a dollar 15 years ago on Facebook. Or how many people can we reach now? I don't know. About 50. <laughs> about 50 people. But if we reach exactly the right people, then all kinds of amazing things can happen. So if you put the right ingredients in the machine, meaning Facebook, which is the same thing, by the way, on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or Twitter, then the machine will find your leads for you. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. So it's not in how clever you are in making videos or having a well-known personality or being really good at tweaking ads. It's actually the setup. And anyone who's really good at Google or social advertising will also agree that 80% of it's in the setup. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, well, here's one easy way to tell whether your ads are working or not, especially in social media. Are you getting this 10% CTR? Now, your agency or whatever, maybe it's not service legend, they're probably used to getting a 0.2% CTR, mm -hmm. which is the industry average. But I'm going to show you why 10% is the new number. Because when the cost of traffic is up, when the algorithm is smarter, you know, ChatGPT did great stuff for you, we're going to be looking for 10%. And you'll see why 10% is great because it means 10% of the people that are scrolling through Instagram, scrolling on Twitter, scrolling on YouTube, one, we need at least one in 10 people engaging. And the relevancy isn't high enough. If the content targeting combination is not high enough, then we have all kinds of problems. But we're going to show you how you get that kind of relevancy very easily. Right. And as you mentioned, the algorithms, right? Uh, Facebook's targeting is, I wouldn't say diminishing, but it's becoming a little bit less 
uh, specific information. They removed our ability to do the targeting because the system does the targeting. Right. For us. The algorithm is getting better and better at figuring out what kind of users want yeah. to resonate with your kind of content. So here in Phoenix, there's a car dealership. And you guys may know if you're in Phoenix, called Earnhardt Chevrolet. I think there's like an Earnhardt BMW, Earnhardt whatever. My friend Bryce Clark bought a used car from them. And then that car wasn't ready. So the general manager agreed to pay for the rental car until that car was ready. Mm -hmm. But then they decided not to pay. And then Bryce was stuck with the bill. And he said, Dennis, what am I going to do? I'm just some 18-year-old kid. And Bernhard Chevrolet said they're going to pay for this. And I said, don't you worry. On your blog, post a screenshot of the text of the general manager where he says, yes, I will reimburse the cost of the rental car while your car is being ready. And, but I don't have a blog. Okay, just make a blog real quick. <laughs> okay. He did. And he posted kind of what happened in the story. And, of course, he asked them to reimburse. He didn't just immediately come out and out this company. And we spent a dollar a day targeting the employees of Earnhardt Chevrolet. What do you think happened? Well, they all started coming back. They started to engage. Mm -hmm. And we had a 23% engagement rate. Wow. And so anyone who was an employee of Earnhardt Chevrolet saw Earnhardt Chevrolet doesn't honor their promises. Right. And the funny thing was, just prior to that, the general manager was so proud. I said, I don't care what you say on Yelp or Google or social media, because you can't threaten me and you can't, you know, get, get in. I said, you, there's a text from you saying that you were going to cover the cost of this rental car, my friend Bryce. And just for fun, we targeted the executives at General Motors in Detroit as well. So within two days, just for fun, <laughs> you do not want to mess with me in my game. <laughs> executives at General Motors who worked on Chevrolet, who were, you know, VP and above were saying, hey, what's going on with Earnhardt Chevrolet? All the employees of Earnhardt Chevrolet were saying, screw Bryce Clark and F him and all this. And what happens when people were engaging on that, that caused more engagement, which is like rubbing a wound. It's right. bad. It made it even worse. So three days later, the general manager calls up Bryce and says, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm getting calls from corporate. And there's all this, you know, I'll just go ahead and, you know, pay for your rental car. I'll take care of all this kind of stuff. And it, dollar is effective because we reached exactly the right audience. Right. Now, in this case, we used it as a complaint vehicle. But you might start to think about how can you use dollar day? My buddy Eric Ludwig turned 50, and he was the chief marketing officer of Rosetta Stone, which is one of the jewelry companies. And I made an ad on Facebook saying, hey, Eric, you don't look a day over 49, right? You're looking good, my friend. And I targeted all the people who work at Rosetta Stone in Roslyn, Virginia, which is Washington, D.C., at their headquarters in marketing, the 250 people in the marketing department. And then the next day, I got a cease and desist from the chief legal officer. Mm -hmm. And they were thinking, there must be, you know, Dennis must be spending millions of dollars right. running these ads because I just see this everywhere. Yeah. All the people, Even though the barrier yeah. industry is actually pretty well. And all the people in Rosetta Stone in marketing were seeing this ad everywhere. How much money did they spend? Dollar day? Dollar day. So I spent, <laughs> spent 83 cents right. to get that done. Right. That was many years ago. We were also spending a million dollars a day on Facebook ads. We yeah. were one of the top spenders, top 10 spenders on the planet overall. Right. But the overall point is you can reach who you want to reach mm -hmm. for as low as a dollar a day. Yeah. And so for contractors, you know, because that's obviously yeah. watching here, um, if you're a home service company, it doesn't matter what your goal is mm -hmm. with the campaign, you can really just 
start with your goal, and then you could create ads at a dollar a day to find and, and move forward. Let me show you guys specifically. So we were at World of Concrete at your little micro-conference, and I said, someone from the audience, let's have a volunteer. And some guy who wasn't very good on the camera, because he did you know, concrete floor, he didn't know how to speak and this kind of thing. And on the spot, I said, okay, say, hey, Shawnee, because he's from Shawnee, Kansas. I said, hey, Shawnee, Kansas, would you like to have your floors look like this or what, or something like that? Or would you like to have concrete floors or something like that? But the call out was to Shawnee, Kansas. And then we set up that ad at a dollar a day targeting just people in Shawnee, Kansas. You know what the CTR was on that ad? It's 27%. So a quarter of the 25% of the people that were scrolling, I think this was on Twitter, on every single channel, right? I remember that. Yeah. You go a little bit further on Twitter, like the, you get a better deal on Twitter than Facebook now, but whatever. TikTok's actually cheap. But Dollar Day works on not just Facebook. Yeah. It works on every platforms. single digital channel. It works on Google too. Anywhere where there's an algorithm that's serving things to users based on their selection and, and they have information of who you are and what you're doing. So for contractors, if you literally call out your city, it tests, say it, and then say what you do. Hey, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, do you need a new garage door? I've been doing this for 17 years, blah, 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 blah. Just, Simple things like that, showing your technicians going about doing their stuff, behind the scenes, painting, all the stuff that they're doing, you literally have that behind the scenes stuff. And then you target that neighborhood, or you target your existing customers, or you target your competitors, or you target people who live in a certain subdivision or whatever. That's the heart of a dollar day because then Facebook, Google, YouTube, Twitter, whatever is going to sub target with those people. Who right. Are right. And Facebook really knows, like the algorithms really know who you're trying to find. Yeah. And when you give it a small budget, it's still going to lead in with the goal of finding your end customer. Yeah. Right? So if you're giving it a small budget, it's going to go all the more to the depths of that data to find you know, whoever it is it's going to serve to. Yeah. Um, so obviously we know Facebook ads are effective. We're going to be doing some live examples on Facebook today. And yeah. maybe if you want to do like Twitter. All the channels are the same as far as I'm concerned. Um, now, in terms of Facebook advertising, because like you don't want to only have dollar A's to strategy, right? right? Like this is in addition to your lead generation, this is right. in addition to your conversion campaign. Right. Um, personally, I think if you're a home service contractor, dollar A could be really good for different blog posts and different things that companies are engaging in. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're a home service company, maybe become sort of that lighthouse in our senior in Arizona, right? You do painting. Um, you want you know, the audience to see that you guys are the number one painting company in Arizona, obviously. Mm -hmm. Lead generation campaigns are going in for that goal, which is to get leads. Right. Um, whereas Dollar Day more so could be awareness that you could throw on the awareness yeah. market. So a lot of people think Dollar Day is good for top end of the funnel, which it is. And then you have conversion campaigns for leads and phone calls that pick up from there, off and off of remarketing audiences. But I want to challenge you with one thing that TikTok in the last two years have has bled over to YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and that's this. On social media, people have the attention span of a net. So you could have this ad that's a minute long that goes through all this kind of stuff, but what happens if people skip past the first two seconds? If the first two seconds isn't compelling, then it doesn't matter. Right. So you use dollar a day to test many different versions just to see 
which ones people even get past the first two seconds. It doesn't matter what happens if people don't you know, skip past the first two seconds. So it's really a way of testing a bunch of ads at the same time and disqualifying those that just aren't going to make it. Yeah. And of those that remain, then you spend the money to see what your best cost will be and so forth. Yeah. Otherwise, you're, you're not going to have enough budget, even if you're a huge painting company. You don't have the budget to test 100 different ads yeah. if you're testing to conversion is the goal because Google or Facebook is going to need a minimum amount of spend, usually three to four times whatever your cost per conversion is. So if your average cost per call is 60 bucks, then you got to spend $180 per creative. Just, the math just doesn't work right. 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 Yeah, no, a good example, and maybe the reason why you guys even know about service legend is we're running a lot of ads on Facebook and these different platforms. And when Ryan, um, obviously founder of a service legend, when he does a podcast episode, we'll cut it up into different clips mm-hmm. and we'll post it on these different platforms. And at all times, I think we have like 20 or so dollar a day to yeah. run it at all times yeah. just to kind of hit those new audiences and keep people engaged. That you guys probably see that, like where you're scrolling on Facebook and you see sponsor and you see Ryan's face. Um, that's that's a prime example of dollar a day. So it works, and um, obviously it'll work for you guys as well as as contractors. About one in ten of your ads will work. That's just kind of the myth. So the Golden State Warriors just got eliminated yesterday in the NBA playoffs. They're a basketball team, and we ran their ads for five and a half years. And what we do is we would have 20 or 30 different ads. Steph Curry, here's the new t-shirt, here's a half-court shot, here's something that's going on. And one in 10 of those, we'd never be able to predict which one, right? I would guess which one, Steve Kerr, the CMO, all these people would, would guess what they thought was the best one and we're always wrong. So the same is gonna be true for your ads. You might have a particular ad that you think is great, but what you need to do is create 10 different combinations and let dollar a figure out which one is winning, right? So it's like you're having your own playoff bracket trying to find the winner there. Anytime you do advertising, you never test with just one ad. You, you test different combinations of the hook, which is the beginning, mm-hmm. different combinations of the body, which is like how you explain what you do, and then different calls to action. Call us, book an appointment, get a free estimate, whatever it might be. Right. So let's talk a little bit about targeting mm-hmm. right people. Uh, we talked about how it's top of funnel, middle of funnel. Yeah. So you got top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. Uh, if you're running ads to obviously get leads, that's going to be bottom of funnel. Yeah. Um, targeting the right people. Do you want to keep the borders open in your targeting, or do you want to you know target specific interests based on what you know what your goal is? So for contractors, you're almost if you're just operating in one area, you're going to almost always choose just the geo. A lot of people, they're tempted to choose homeowners or income or people who follow certain people or your email audience or other kinds of remarketing. But I'm a big fan in the last three years of just keeping it to the geo because listen to what all the other pundits are saying and they'll agree with what I'm saying is that Facebook, for example, has basically killed off detail targeting. Mm -hmm. And then there's a lot of rules on advertising around like, red lighting and discrimination right. and how and the attribution. Yeah. yeah. So, so all that kind of stuff is just, is, you know, even Apple in their earnings announcement last week talked about the impact of, you know, iOS 14 and whatnot, where it's harder to tell what's going on with the data. So what you do is you just set a broad geo target and then your content 
plus the objective that you choose does the targeting. Right. That's the number one thing people have missed. In so content and copy, as long as that's consistent with what you're looking yeah. for. So the if you say Arizona, sub yeah. So yeah. if you have something like Arizona homeowners and then you, you go into something painting, yeah. uh, the algorithm is going to pick up on that. Yeah. Um, but then also how people react to it, right? Yeah. So how people react to it. Yeah. So if you didn't hear that right, you want to just select the geography. Mm -hmm. And so if you're in Maricopa County, just select Maricopa County. Don't add any entries. Yeah, it's easy. You could test it, but at the end of the day, just keep it open um, and Facebook's going to find right. Yeah, the optimization is not in having lots and lots of different targets. 16, 17 years ago, when we first started on Facebook ads, we would create ads targeting all these different interests. Moms, station wagons, people went to the mall, people who just bought a new house, people like, we would do all these different things and try to have messages that were tied to these. Now it's shifted. Now, instead of lots of targets, it's lots of content. You have just one target, your neighborhood, lots of different pieces of content. And Facebook's gonna find, or TikTok or YouTube or whatever, is gonna find one winner. So you put $7 against each one of these, a dollar a day for a week. When you find a winner, then you take that and then you run that for conversions. Then you run that for leads. You run that for phone calls. You cross post it to your GMB. You, like, it's the initial screening. You might have a hundred different ads. You find 10 of the winners and those 10 you use at different stages of the funnel. So it's not only top and middle of the funnel. Awesome. So let's write a little bit of something on here. Uh, stick a little bit of the panel there. Yeah. So let's, Let's show the sort of what the top of funnel, like what the funnel looks like, right? Yeah. You have the awareness, you have consideration, you have conversion. Yeah. Let's kind of explain that process a little bit. If you don't mind. So this is the standard funnel that you see when you advertise on any network. So if you advertise on Google or LinkedIn or Twitter, you're going to see the exact three stages, awareness, consideration, and conversion. So then why is that? Are they all colluding? Like you would think like TikTok and Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook, they're all different networks. Why would you go in and set up ads? Do they have the exact same three stages? Why would they do that? Like you figure they're different, right? Mm -hmm. You figure Google's different than Facebook, right? Why would they, why would they be called exactly the same thing? That's how customers buy. It is because the underlying psychology of how humans buy. Now, Certainly a lot of us can think about, well, what does awareness mean? Awareness is like, do they know who you are? I mean, yes, that's true, but really awareness is why you exist, your mission, your vision, what you stand for, telling a story. When you meet someone, forget about the internet for a moment. When you meet someone for the first time, you want to get a sense of like where they're from and what do they stand for and how they hate the Cowboys or you just want to get a sense like, do they go to the same church? You want to see like, do we have alignment and values? And you do that by just driving around the neighborhood and say, this is the Italian restaurant I go to every Friday and I bring my kids and I order two large pepperoni pizzas. Does that say anything about you being a painting contractor or about a painting special that you have or how many years you've been doing it, how many technicians you have? No, nothing like that. It's just getting a sense of who you are where you tell a bunch of why stories. And a why story starts with when I was. When I was 18, I dropped out of high school because I wanted to run for Nike professionally. Did you know that? No. I yeah. <laughs> like, I know you, you do like long distance running, but yeah. I ran a half marathon in 110. Wow. And I've run a 407 mile, even though I'm a midget and all that. <laughs> I, but true story, eight, when I was 18, I dropped out of high school and I wanted to be a professional athlete. I wrote 
my essay to Shelly Bridges, who is the coordinator at Nike, and she wrote back and said, I'm sorry, Dennis, these are the world qualifying times we need to have to be able to be sponsored by Nike. And I said, nobody in the world has made those times yet. Of course, I've not made those times as a 17-year-old, right? I was fast, but then I can tell the story, right? That's a story. I can tell the story about, you know, this morning when I woke up, I thought, oh, man, I don't want to wake up and do this webinar, but I want to go hang out with Marco and play golf. And then I realized, you know what, sometimes you just got to do discipline is when you do the stuff that you know you need to do, but you don't want to do, right? And that's why we get up out of where every day we do, there's like, do I love everything I'm doing? No, but I love the result. So you, you tell a story, a why is a story. You tell a story about something and then you extrapolate that into the meaning, any kind of story, just day-to-day -day life. It doesn't have to be some massive thing like you had a heart attack or your mom died. or It's just different stories and that drives awareness. The best awareness stories are when you are with someone else, when you are on the job, when you're with a customer and you're just, there's a lightweight banter about what they're doing. This, this top of funnel, most people miss that because they just spend all the effort here, which is let's, let's book a call, right? right. Call me now, get an estimate, contact us. Like right. everyone understands this. No one's why their marketing doesn't work. Yeah. Because you're, you're, it's like a, a hooker or whatever. You just like go straight for the, like a pickup line going straight for the sale. Yes, you understand this. I don't need to explain what it means to sell, right? You guys already know how to sell. But these first two stages in awareness and consideration are where people mess up. So the why is telling the story, you as a person, your family, you know, how you treat your people. An employee just had their fifth anniversary. You're just telling stories and just being human. You're trying to show right. that because otherwise there's all these other painting contractors and flooring people and windows and garage door people. There's all those other people. You know what? Do a Google search and you'll see there's tons. There's many right. other people that do this. You got to break thing. the noise, right? Yeah. People, let me ask you this. When people are making a decision on who's going to do their floors, do you think they can really tell who the best flooring contractor is? No. No. Then how do they make the decision? They're this is something ridiculous. They, who they like. Who they like. I've been doing internet advertising for 30 years and I would have thought, you know, it's going to be based on your reviews and like how skillful they are yeah. and the equipment they have and like all that. Like everybody looks the same until they contact you basically. People make a decision that this is the, the unlocking, like I'm a data engineer, I'm a search engine engineer. So I'm always like, what are the facts? And I want to evaluate logically, but let's say, you know, you needed a, just as an example, you needed a babysitter because you were going to go out to, you know, you and your wife or whatever, we're gonna go out and do something for a date night. And the girl next door, she's like an okay babysitter, but you've known her for a long time. And then there's this other girl you don't know who's got like the perfect babysitter resume. Are you gonna choose the girl next door who's like, okay? Or are you gonna choose the perfect resume babysitter, but you don't know her, who are you gonna choose? The person who you know. So people choose based on familiarity. They choose based on who has the common values. It's nothing to do with how, now, of course, you do a good job in painting and flooring. You, know, you do a good job in what you do, but people make a decision based on this. This makes no rational sense at all. But I guarantee you, we've been doing this a long time. If I have to choose between someone where I've seen three or four stories of them just like in the neighborhood, just doing stuff, having coffee, like whatever, versus some person who's like five stars, 300 reviews and all that. I'm going to choose the person. I feel like I know them. I feel like, oh, right. I feel like we could get together and like have a beer. Or, right. that, that's really what so it is. So dollar a day is really yeah. going to explain the why. Yeah. And it's going to create awareness around 
your products or services you offer. And not only that, it's going to create those audiences that then you could go retarget later and funnel them down to become customers at some point. And so these stories, it'll, there'll be a number of these different stories that you're testing and some work and some don't, and don't try to be perfect. Don't, you don't always have to wear the uniform and have the cap. I mean, Mark has got service legend on all the time, but you need to build a number of touches. And then the how is this is perfect. This is on the job stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of short little 15 second things. You're just narrating, Hey, we're about to go to this house and do this job or, you know, this, what are you, you're, you're just bringing them along for the ride. Right now, let me ask a question. The, the standard rule in advertising, as you guys have heard forever, was how many times do you have to hit the customer to drive a sale? Seven times. Seven. So that's the number of people have heard for, for the last 50 years. What's the modern number now? The research just came out by TikTok and then Facebook and Google kind of verified it was this too. What is it? It's unbelievable. It's 60. Okay. You've got to build 60 touches. But doesn't mean you're just hammering people with the same message 60 times, like yes, in billboards and direct mail, but in digital, they need to see 60 touches. They need to see you in different stages along the right here. And then they Google your name. Right. They Google your company name. Yeah. And even over the last like probably five years mm-hmm. online, uh, especially in the coding world, painting world, there's been so many, like there's been a a renaissance of people starting to do this social media advertising, thing, yeah. you know? And so there's so much noise on these platforms. Like you could go on there and run, you'd go straight to, to conversion and act like you could run to a cold audience and get leads. You could, but the reality is, is if you want higher intent, higher quality leads, yeah. but also um, cheaper, right? If you want cheaper, you, you move them down the funnel like we're talking about, yep. talking about here. So here's, here's some math for you. And I think, can you erase this? All right. I'm going to give you a choice. A, I'll turn to the pen. A and B. Choice A is you run one ad that's only for conversion. Call us now for an estimate, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, free estimate, $79 offer, whatever it is that you have. And... The cost of, if you run conversion ads, because the lower in the funnel you go, the more it costs. Yeah. Right? To reach like certain money. Yeah. So how, so how much does it cost now if you run a conversion ad? It could be, you know, native leads or cost per call, whatever it is on any network. What What is your average CPM now? Probably 40 bucks. Probably more than that. More like 60, depending on, well, you guys are maybe at 40 because you yeah. know you're doing using video vertical, like that kind of stuff. But typically about $60 to reach a thousand people. Mm-hmm. And so if you spend a thousand dollars, then, you know, you're going to basically get, what is it? Uh, 17,000 people. Yeah. You'll reach 17,000 people. Okay. And out of the 17,000 people, you get a certain number of calls and your cost per lead. You know, you figure out the math. Right. Okay. If your conversion rate is high enough, then you might have a problem. Then the math might work out on that, but actually, when this is a cold audience of 17,000 people, you get dinged because of what's called a relevant score on social media. So the lower your CTR, the higher your negative feedback rate, the more people click, hide this post, hide all posts, you know, report this page, then your cost goes up. And then it might even go, I've seen this happen before. It'll go to a $200 CPM. So the same is true with Google, a better click-through rate, they discount. So if you double your CTR, 
it's called quality score, then your cost is now half. Right. If you triple your CTR, you pay a third. Okay. Yeah. So There's your different cost, levers you can pull. This is a cold audience. Your cost will start to go up. And then your, the math just doesn't start, it just won't work anymore. Okay. So this is based on cold touches conversion only. Half B is I'm going to hit them with a bunch of awareness. I'm going to hit them with three awareness in a row. It could be sequenced together. It could be just as one as a single campaign and top of funnel. I'm, I'm not saying reach campaigns. I'm just saying like boosting posts. We'll talk about here for dollar day. What's this cost going to be? I saw some campaigns just this past week that were still at $5, right? So if initially I'm paying 60 versus five, I'm paying 112 the cost. So instead of 17,000, I'm going to reach 300,000. 300,000 impressions in that city, and maybe the city is, say, 30,000 people, so I'm going to get 10 impressions. So, and, and that gives me a chance. That gives the algorithm a chance to figure out which of the ads that we're running is actually going to be the winner. Now, this is not going to drive leads. It'll, it'll drive some leads because of attribution. It's not supposed to be profitable. It is to drive the touch. And, and so if these are videos, vertical videos, we're looking for through plays meaning they're staying for at least 15 seconds. And I want to get to 20% through place. Of the people that scroll, 20% make it to 15 seconds. The average on Facebook is 8 or 9%. I want at least 20%, double that, because it shows that we're engaging and interesting and our hook is good. Because then that gives us six. And, and the, the 20% will usually lead to a 10 cent cost per through play. That's kind of what the math is. Maybe you're 15 or 20 cents, but about 10 cents. We've done this for thousands of different service companies because then I, I, I find a winner here and then I'm going to put more against it. That builds up all these different touches. It builds remarketing audiences, whether or not I remarket from here, then to my conversion ad doesn't really matter because remarketing is already built in when I drive conversion. Why? Because the system is looking for who's going to convert, who's more likely to convert people that have already seen your ads before. So now, how much am I going to pay for this conversion ad? I'm not going to pay a 60 or 200 because these people are warmed up because people who have already watched this are being remembered by Facebook. Now my cost to convert my, my CPMs are down to maybe $30. So my net number of leads is going to be higher. So here I spend a thousand dollars. I might get 20 leads, but here I might get 35 leads, right? And, and, and they're different quality as well because it's different stages of quality. Yeah. So, so the math is if I spend 100% here on conversion and I get 20 leads, it's a $50 cost per lead. If I spend, say, like 75% here to warm them up on awareness and consideration and 25% is here, this, this cost per lead might be, you know, $200 or whatever the math is, and this cost per lead might be, you know, 20, but the math works out where your net cost per lead is lower because you built up enough touches. So this is not just like bombard them just because we believe that branding is important. The, the net cost of conversion goes down because people see your messages and the ones that you initially put a dollar a day against them, but the ones that do well, well, well the first off, the ones that don't pass the threshold They've only spent $7, so that's it. They just, just ought to die. You keep putting more in until you find these winners. When you find a winner, 
you put more on it, and then this starts to build momentum and these run evergreen, meaning you don't have to keep making new ads. That's what people get about dollar a day, it's momentum builder. As you find these winners, let this run forever at $2 a day, $3 a day, find another winner, find another winner. And then this makes your conversion more powerful over time. But this does take 90 days, 100 days or whatnot to go through the testing cycle to build up these kinds of audiences. So, you know, I want to get six-pack abs. If I go to the gym and I work out really hard for four hours, am I going to have six-pack abs? It, it takes some time. Right. right, right. And nothing good comes quick anyway. Yeah. So you want to invest in your ad account, invest in your page, yeah. build up the audiences and we'll retarget. Yeah. So should we show some ads? Yeah, let's do that. Cool. Well, let's move this thing out of the way. Cool. And then just take a seat here. Yeah. This is cool. This is Awesome. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.
Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Benjamin Moore and Sherwin-Williams. Hi, welcome to the Pain Points Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Vale, and I am very excited to have on uh, the host of At Advice from a Young Tradesman. Uh, he is also the owner and founder of Nth Degree Painting in Burlington, Vermont, Noah Cantor to the show. Noah, welcome to the Pain Points Podcast. Thank you for having me. Great to yeah. be here. It's good to be on the other side of the mic. <laughs> nice, nice. Yes, um, you and I have spoken in the past um, about uh, craftsmanship crap, and yeah. you know, I, I got connected to you uh, via your uh, podcast that is syndicated on PCA. Um, and when I started talking to Chad Shermer over at PCA and Julie Ethan on yep. my goal and my vision for having a podcast of my own, you were always on the short list of people to get on here. So it's, um, it's an honor to have you. Um, you are a very well, um, you're you're a fantastic craftsperson, um, but you're also very um, very well thought. Your organize your thoughts are very well organized, and you articulate them very well. Um, so I've always appreciated your your podcast and your take on our industry. Um, well, I, I appreciate all of that very much, and I love what yeah. you're doing. So yeah, it's it's cool to watch you start your own thing as well. And this is this yeah stuff. Yeah, so. Uh, you and I are kind of similar in some standpoints. Um, I came from restaurant background. Um, if people follow your uh, podcast, you were an anthropologist. Yeah, and, and then archaeologist in the field before I realized uh, <laughs> there wasn't much of a future in that. And right. back to the trades, which is what I knew and what I spent my summers doing in between college. So, Right, right. Yeah, and I have a a similar story so we we're kind of compatible in that um mm -hmm. we both appreciate the craft um we like to perform at a uh a higher level uh yeah. we could say um and i think that we're both uh very well um that that we analyze things a lot is that fair to say uh, yeah potentially too much on, on my yeah. part <laughs> yeah yeah i i can definitely say that i uh, at one point, I had uh, two two direct hires. I had two subcontractors, and then now it's just me. I'm not using any subcontractors. Mm -hmm. I have no W two employees. It's just me, um, ju and and really still trying to figure out um, how to uh, perfect this before mm -hmm. I scale again. Um, yeah. But sometimes, uh, I I think Nick Nick Slavic says. Um, perfection always stands in the way of pretty darn good, right? Yes. Um, and yes. that's kind of the topic that we want to talk about today. Um, you have your take. I really, 
um, would so so the the goal the heart of this podcast is to be able to identify and discuss the pain points that solopreneurs or painting companies under half a million um, to be a resource for them to mm -hmm. be able to give them tangible actionable steps for them to be able to implement into their business tomorrow mm -hmm. um, versus talking about these higher level um, just like pie in the sky type stuff like work on your business not in your business we all sure. get it we've heard everybody say that yeah. what does that actually look like for a company where you or I are wearing every single hat. How do I get my systems in place when I'm wearing every single hat? Like I'm me personally right now today, mm -hmm. I'm two weeks behind uh, or two weeks over budget on a historical restoration that I'm doing. It's my first mm -hmm. RRP job. Oh, and yeah. like, how do I, how do I create a system or, you know, like how am I focused on those other things when I'm just so focused on getting this job done and that's what i think a lot of people kind of resonate and i know following your journey i'll let you uh describe it you'll probably describe it better than i um but following your journey you kind of did a lot of things mm -hmm. and then you've pared that down and i just wanted to talk to you i know this is something that was on your heart as well yeah talk to you about what things look like before Mm -hmm. uh, with Entegree Painting, um, what, how you came to this theory and yeah. executed it more importantly, you know, because yeah. we can talk theory, but the execution behind it. Um, and then further on, what does Entegree Painting look like today? Yeah. Um, and then maybe we could kind of go back. Um, there's a couple quotes from uh, some, of your, some of your episodes um, <laughs> that I want to uh, touch on. And sure. just kind of get your take on so yeah man. so yeah so there's so much here i love this yeah yeah so um so let's start off with this okay where did nth degree painting start off with how did noah cantor become um uh, a business owner sure uh accidentally like many of us um the company that i moved to burlington vermont to work for was a historical restoration company Mm -hmm. And they were doing the running everyone like 1099s, but treating them like employees. And eventually the piper caught up to them and that business was no more. Just kind of wow. into bankruptcy by the state. And then what I didn't have a full appreciation for at you know, 22 or 23 back then was that I was technically self-employed back then. It just didn't feel like it. And tax time hadn't come around yet. <laughs> yeah. So then I was like, oh, I'm actually self-employed now. And mm -hmm. that was it. I mean, at that point, I had dabbled in a lot of trades, and I thought I was more dangerous than I was at all of them because I was early twenties, and such is life. More more dangerous as far as like uh, as Just, far as level of competency. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. You think you're way better than you are at everything at that age. Correct. And then I was self-employed just not knowing the implications of any of that, not knowing what I needed to bring to the table to be an actual paint contractor. But mm -hmm. the thing that saved me was that kind of to your point, like I get in the weeds and I care too much and I will martyr myself and break myself to produce a good result. Yeah. So the early years were me being like, oh, that would be fun to say I can do. 
and then learning how to do it at my expense. And I like some of these clients are still very close clients and they've watched me grow into someone who I'm pretty sure when they were hiring me, they're like, this kid seems really nice and we're not sure if he knows what he's doing, but I don't think he'll screw us over. I think that was my value prop back then. <laughs> right. But also were you charging enough back then? Absolutely not. No. Yeah. Absolutely not. I will. You know, Cause that's another thing that we kind of hang ourselves on is uh, like I have a client and she's done work with me every single year mm -hmm. and every single year she beats me up on price. So when mm -hmm. I was the $150 a day, that's all I needed to make Yeah, type person, she would beat yeah. me up on price back then. And now, you know, we're over $500 a day to try yeah. to get out there. She's still trying to beat me up on price and I'm <laughs> just having to tell a better story about value. Sure. And she doesn't realize that we've more than tripled our price in the six years that we've been doing business together. Of course. Yeah. yeah. A lot of those early clients don't grow with you because they only want you for your low price and your high quality. That's true you know? too. They're taking a gamble on that. And some, when they hit, they get some really good work done for basically nothing. Um, Correct. But yeah, very few of those clients I still have today because a lot of them just jump ship when there's not the bargain anymore. Which right. fine, that's good. I'm I'm not like I'm not gonna go broke to maintain a relationship that was based on me not making a living wage. You know, yeah, <laughs> I don't need I don't need a finance or pay out of pocket to renovate your home. Exactly. That's yeah. that's essentially what I've come come to 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 realize. And yeah. if clients are wanting to negotiate on on price, I don't know how we got on this tangent. But if they're wanting to negotiate yeah. on price. We can scale back the scope, um, but I mean, there's one way that I do things, and and that's pretty much it. I'm I'm exactly. okay with that. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, the way I look at those years is that was trade school for me. You know, that was yeah. me learning a lot, and you know, scraping by. But I didn't care. Like I was young, it didn't matter. And I thought now you cool. actually went to college, right? Yes. Yeah. That's and you, how gra I thought you graduated. That. Yes. Okay, and that that's where so you actually got a degree in anthropology and archaeology. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so during the summers you're working uh, for this other company, uh, they're treating you as a 1099 model, or you're you're being paid as a 1099 model, but they're treating you like a W two employee. Mm -hmm. Everything's hunky dory. Taxman comes a knocking, and they go out of business. More so less, now, yep. so now Noah's on his own. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? Yeah, just like I said, those first years were just me trying to figure out my bearing, and you know everything was like fun and new because I didn't know anything. But yeah, just over promising on very complicated scopes, and then figuring it out and not making any money and spending anything that I made buying the tools to, to perform the job. I was building cabinets. I was doing high-end like carpentry built-ins. I had no business promising anyone. Like I was, I was doing ridiculous projects that now if someone approached me with them, like I know how to do them, but I'd be like, no, that's way too complicated and in the weed. Like, like yeah. But it was just fun. It was, it yeah. was, and it was a way I cut my teeth, and I, I just learned so much in those years. But like that's kind of why I call it like trade school. It was like, you know, the jobs I had before that when I was working for other people didn't teach me a tenth of what I learned in those years, just over promising and then figuring out how to deliver. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm Prithvi Varkhani, 
And we've got recruiting best practices, pain and training resources, and a bear pro sweepstakes coming your way in this PCA Minute. It's recruiting season. If you're wondering where all the good candidates are, we got you covered. There's an entire section on PCA Overdrive dedicated to hiring, recruiting, and retention. Curated from your favorite podcasts, expo sessions, and virtual events, you'll learn to hire and keep rock stars in your company. Just look for the hiring, recruiting, and retention lane on PCA Overdrive. Get your crew field ready faster with PCA's Painter Training. PCA Overdrive provides free access to painter training videos in English and Spanish. Our training portal offers a more in-depth learning experience through a guided pathway. Each module has an assessment and certificates are awarded at the completion of each level. To learn more, go to pcapaintedorg slash training. Finally, enter for a chance to win the Bear Pro Painter Sweepstakes. Price includes $5,000 worth of Bear, Kills, Graco, and 3M products. Visit pca.so slash Bear Pro Sweepstakes to enter now. Okay, so at what point in your um, now business do you start to... I don't want to exactly go to this transition, mm -hmm. um, but do you start saying something's got to give? What if I did something different? Or like, how did that even cross your scope? Because essentially there's three ways for you to make more money, mm -hmm. right? Is one, get more clients, which typically costs more money. Two, charge your existing clients more money. Mm -hmm. Or three, offer more services to your existing sure. clients, right? Sure. That's if you ask marketing sales guys, that's what they're going to tell you. Those are three ways. So how, how did you come up with this theory of, I need to slow down. I, I need to reevaluate this. What is that? Yeah. Like? So they're like, there, there's a bunch of years in between those, those two things. So I'll fill them in. Um, there was me like all that time. I didn't know there was an industry, a broader industry out there. Um, you know, I was on paint talk and all those forums with the crusty old guys who didn't want to tell you anything. And like, <laughs> I was getting by on those, but I realized there was a big industry out there. Like went to crank with Nick May in Denver, met Nick Slavic and was like, Oh my God, there's this thing called ask, you know, down that rabbit hole. And then I was like, I'm going to scale a business. That's what I'm going to do. And you know, that whole, just like waterfall, the deluge of information that the industry yeah. throws at you when you decide that's what you want to do. And yeah, just went the self-education route, went the diving in route, and then started picking up employees. And I'd just say over the course to like, feel free to dive in. I'll just give you like the end generalization, but oh, you're good. Um, what I can concisely say now is that temperamentally, I am not like a business builder. I am not okay. like, it's a very unique skill set that you need to either have or develop to do to to scale a good business in our trade. And a lot of that is trainer, it's team builder, it's rah 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 blah with, and it's bringing up people who will never care even close to as much as you will. That's and true. That's not me. That's just okay. not me. And I'm comfortable saying that. And I think if most of our industry is honest, it's probably not them either, or else they wouldn't be kind of a solopreneur craftsperson. <laughs> True. I think, so I think there's a lot, what, what I've seen is that you st typically in the trades, 
you start off with somebody who's either a technician or a salesperson, right? Sure. And then they wind up scaling and growing the business. And now you go from doing the thing to being a sales and marketing company. And mm -hmm. that's somewhere in the like two to $5 million range. Sure. But once you get past that, now you're a people development company mm -hmm. because you're just, you have so many roles and everybody needs to, instead of having everybody being quarterbacks and everybody being linebackers, like you need one quarterback and a depth chart behind them and things like that. Yeah. But it, it's kind of surprising for me to hear you say that that's not you mm -hmm. because, you know, you and I have had conversations offline. I've followed your journey uh, for the last three, four years. I've listened to every episode of Ask a Painter, or I'm sorry, uh, Advice from a Young Tradesman. Yeah. Um, you have a teaching spirit. Yes. Like, you have a heart for teaching, for giving back. Like to me, how so how does, how does that differentiate from this uh, feeling of not or feeling like you're not a people developer? Um, the, a great point, great, clarif great, great clarifying question. I love that. Um, yeah. It's, I, I can do it. I know the right things to say. I know what I have to do. I know how often I have to check in and the soft skill. I like, I know how to do it. Mm -hmm. It is not my strong suit. And I think that's a big, like, that's another kind of theme we could touch on is in order to do this thing that everyone tells us to do, how much are we swimming upstream against our innate personality mm -hmm. versus like challenging ourselves to learn new skills? And that's kind of like a broader philosophical question, but I think there's an argument for not swimming upstream as much and more just taking what you thrive at and tripling down on that. But anyway, to answer your question yeah. more, um, again, like to, I didn't realize this along the way. If subcontracting were an option in Burlington, Vermont, I think I would do that a lot more. I thrive more being around people who are inherently self-motivated more than your average employee I'm going to hire for my paint business that needs coaching and structure and this and that and handholding and all the stuff that again i know i i know the words to say it's just not me some people are coaches and love that stuff yeah i'm not i i don't i i want to be more around peers than subordinates the reason okay. your point is yeah that's the concise way to say it the reason i like to talk to the industry is because i'm talking to a bunch of people like you who are right. inherently motivated and seeking this stuff out that's what i thrive on more and scaling a paint business, you know, you're, you're talking about the multi-million dollar stage. What about that one through five employee stage? Yeah. That just intense coaching and training and handholding and soft skills. That's not me. Okay. Okay. I, I'm, I'm glad we were able to clarify that because, For sure. uh, exactly to your point, I think there's, I think part of the, part of the reason why especially in painting, it's so highly segmented. It's, you know, the average painting contracting company is 1.5 employees or 1.6 mm -hmm. employees mm -hmm. um, is because people aren't honest with, with themselves. You sure. know, like I think that there's, um, there, 
it's like a two-folded thing, right? That one, we're not honest with ourselves, with our skills. And there was a time where it made sense to have these small companies and that we could do everything. You think about even with like, um, like contractors, like general contractors, mm -hmm. you know, you think back 30, 40 years, maybe a little bit more, you know, you had these GCs who were bags on and they were able to do it on a daily basis and they were building houses. But now you look at it and there's this new term about paper contractors that all they're doing mm -hmm. is just pushing papers around and mm -hmm. running subs. But things have become so complex and complicated in our lives today, even with painting, like there's so many moving parts with the sales and the marketing and, you know, human resources you know, leads coming in and, and, and taking that customer complaints or trying to get out. There's just so many things to be able to do yeah. that we're at a point in society that you almost have to be like super niche in what you do. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's more production line style instead of having, like we were saying, you need specialists in each, in each segment. So That's that, right. that I think, you know, going back to your point about people paddling up the river is like, how, how do we, how does somebody who is either a technician working for somebody or, uh, you know, they're the technician who had the entrepreneurial seizure, you know, Michael Gerber, yeah. sure. what things do they do to be able to identify whether or not this is for them? Like, how do, how do, how does somebody figure that out? you may not have cool. all the answers to it, but maybe, um, sure. you know, just I mean, your thoughts on that. It's funny. Like a lot of the, the big, like the big talking heads in our industry are disc profiling all of their employees. Yeah. But not suggesting that everyone, every solopreneur taking their advice, disc profile themselves to see if they fit in the scaling entrepreneurship <laughs> box. Yeah because it's, it's, it's a totally different skill set. So like, there's that as like kind of a simple answer, but there's also this other answer that I think about of like, if you're the type of person to go scale this big thing and just do it and get after it, you're probably just doing it. Mm -hmm. You're like, you probably don't need that much motivational thing because there's just this inherent spark in those people. And I think they're so rare and I'm in awe of them. But it's like, if you're not, I think the answer is just like, if you're not doing it, it might just not be you, right? And maybe you should just think about where your skill set lies and exploit that to the absolute highest level. And there's so much power there. It's, right. it's, it's not like if you don't do the one thing, it's like, oh, you better go work at, at 7-Eleven. It's like, no. Right. Yeah. No, what we're missing in this industry right now, I think, is celebrating the absolute maximized solo or small thing. Because I'm seeing so much power there. And when I decided to double down on that, to triple down on that, life has never been better. And I'm right. like, thing, I didn't know what I'm doing was possible. I didn't have the imagination for it a few years ago. And So, so... You, you say that you pared down. So what did, what did nth degree painting look like? So you were taking on every, any and any project you said cabinet sure. building, um, sure. obviously interior, exterior painting, yep. you're known for, 
um, you know, high, high, high end exterior restorations, um, RRP jobs, like the whole gamut. If, if, if it had anything to do with painting, you, you would run after it. Yes. And like the, the more complicated, the better it was. Right. Because it was just, it was engaging. It's fun. I mean, you're do, you're doing a restoration right now. It sounds like it's hard right now, but I'm sure there's still that allure to it, right? There's something like, oh, uh, I mean, I I'm over in it as far as like time budget, but sure. the way I also uh, prescribed it was I gave them a fixed cost on the actual painting, mm-hmm. but I gave them an hours and material budget up Perfect. to painting for the prep. Perfect. So, because I mean, there's spots on this house that essentially what I, I predicted I, I, that I'd strip about 40% of the paint off of this house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stripped 40% off of one side. I asked the homeowner what she thought. She said she wanted more. So now we're somewhere about 85%. Like that would have totally killed me if I hadn't, if I hadn't, you know, budgeted accordingly. Yes. So I put in, I, cause I put a, I think it was like a hundred hours in that, in that line item yeah. for lead safe removal. And I think I spent just on one side, I spent like, uh, 70 hours, Yeah. yeah. you know, and there's still three other sides to this house, but like you go through some areas and then you're removing the paint and there's been carpenter ants there at one point mm. that once you remove the paint, there's no wood behind it. Yeah. So like, how can you, how can you predict, how can you, you predict what type of, and I'm like you, you know, I grew up in the trades. I started in the trades when I was 13 years old, working with a guy from church and I learned how to do drywall work. I learned how to install fences. Mm-hmm. I learned how to hang cabinets. And, you know, we, we did, um, work for a, a custom cabinet shop doing all of their installs. Sure. Um, so I learned how to do everything with him. Um, and then fast forward, you know, I'm a painter, but I've also worked on framing crews and I've done roofing and concrete mm-hmm. work so I can do it all. And it's like, oh, that sounds like a really cool thing. I want to do that. Um, so like on this job, I knew that it would be more value to them if I did all of the, the wood repair on the outside. So that was another thing oh, that yeah. I budgeted for. Yeah. Um, and, and that's pretty much every day. Um, I'm going through sanding something and sending them a picture. Hey, this is completely rotted out. This is what I suggest to do. And then they always give me the green light, but it's so that they're keeping track. They're able to keep track and say, oh, you know, wow, there was a lot of wood rot on here uh, to do. Yes. I'm so glad you did TNM for the prep on that, man. (laughs) That's- Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's only one way to do some of those. Yeah, from listening to um, to your podcast to listening to to um, Slavic on uh, Ask a Painter, um, I definitely uh, knew I knew enough to know that I didn't know enough. So yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Well, that that's a good segue into answering a question about what I ditched from WorkScope yeah. and exteriors sure. was one, and completely mainly because there was so much unpredictability with them yeah, uh, because of rot or this or that. And logistically they're more difficult. Weather's a variable. But that was one of the things that attracted you to this type of work was For the sure. problem solving, the, sure. the uncovering stuff, pulling the string at the sweater, you know, yep. to see how yep. far you can unravel it to put yep. it back together. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm speaking out of turn here, but there's there's a special type of pride that you get from uncovering something like that, yeah. figuring it out, and fixing it. Agreed. Agreed. But what was outweighing that was just the havoc that all the other variables associated with doing exterior, doing complicated exteriors was throwing into my life. You know, you can't schedule on your own terms. There's so much inefficiency due to just all the monkey wrenches and curveballs and weather and this and that. Compare that to just doing predictable interiors. You know how many hours you're working that week because the job site's always open. Like Mm -hmm. there's never, yeah, yeah. So just eliminated the thing that you're right you're right like the sexiest coolest interior i've done in the past few years isn't even close to like the feeling at the end of some of those exteriors but i don't care about that as much anymore like i want predictable money on my own terms that tries everything okay so i heard um uh, one of my pastors, they gave a sermon a while back and he said, doing what you, doing what you're good at is your talent. Doing what you love is your passion mm-hmm. and doing what you were made to do is your purpose. Mm. And it's, it's like when you get all three of those things, that's where we find fulfillment. Mm. Would you say that you're being fulfilled after having um, pared down, are you still getting fulfillment? Yeah, less in like the the craft way, okay. but that's not the priority right now. Um, my the way what's replaced satisfaction based on a certain type of niche product or craft or whatever is predictable money at a certain mm-hmm. rate every day. That's yeah. what I care about right now. Yeah. That just trumps everything else. And if the project's cool, awesome. But that that's a bonus. Yeah. And yeah. like like the work has to be good. My work has to be good. Obviously. Yeah. Like Yeah. Well, I mean, you're still executing like, at a high level. Yes. Yeah. It's not like money trumps quality, but money predictable money trumps a certain type of work. So for you, it sounds like you went from pretty much doing everything or Mm -hmm. doing anything that was paint related. Uh, You also have other skills outside of painting. Sounds like a little bit of carpentry and some, you know, handyman type stuff. Is that accurate to say? Yeah. Yep. Don't offer that either. Yep. Okay. So that's where you were. You still have those skill sets, but that's where you were as far as services offered. Mm-hmm. And then you've pared that down to only doing 
interior paintings. So the variable, essentially what you did is you went through your business and you eliminated variables. Yeah. I eliminated so variables the, as far as job types, yeah. variables as far as weather, mm -hmm. and then variables as far as uh, a, a thing that a lot of us don't consider when we are taking new new work or new services is the equipment or the tools that go along with that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So with those three things in mind, like how how has your work life improved Focused on those three variables. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of fronts we could touch on. One that just came to mind is it is amazing to be one of the only painters in an entire city and county willing to look at an interior job from April to October. Right. Think about the power there. Well, I can't think about it because I'm in Florida and we paint <laughs> I know. interior exterior all year long. I know, but it's, but it's like for our northern folk. Yeah, you're, you're you're preaching. But even even think about you're 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 one of the only ones in your town doing what is really a very basic service. Yeah, but you're just the supply and demand curve is really on your side right now because everyone in Vermont is trying to fit in a ton of exteriors, some that they booked last year that they blew some people off and just make a year's worth of money in six months, I'm not playing that game. I'm available. Yeah. So there's a tremendous amount of power in being on the right side of a constrained supply and demand curve that sucks if you're a client. It's not a good world to live in, but I sell a luxury good in this market, and I'm one of the only ones to show up at a certain time of year. Now, and did that... Did, did the seasonality, did that influence your decision on what it was? Because you could have flipped it the other way and said, hey, I'm only going to do exteriors mm -hmm. and, you know, when the sun is shining, make hay. Sure. And then, you know, you could have done whatever, you know, surfed or not surf, but ski. Um, yeah. I'm thinking I'm, I'm used to the beach, not the mountains. Sure, um, sure. But you could have skied or, or done whatever. Um, or switch to do interiors, you know, still have had a hybrid. Mm -hmm. um, why, why did you d decide to s go full interiors all year long versus doing a hybrid? Yeah, I, I mean, the summers here are glorious. The winters here are brutal. And I, I don't, I wanted more flexibility and time freedom and predictability in my summers. And it also turns out I can make way more money painting interiors in the summer than exteriors when you factor in all the variables and the weather BS. So the money's better, the lifestyle's better, and it's not peaks and valleys, it's not boom or bust. It's right. as much of one type of predictable work as I want all year long with gotcha. an, ex an excess of demand for that for half the year in the summer. Right, so let's, Let's talk for a little bit. You said offline um, that you'd be willing to share uh, numbers as far as like a percent. Is that mm -hmm. something that you're able to do? Of course, yeah. Okay, um, so let's let's look at what your average, what percent did going from doing anything and everything versus just doing interiors. Where did your um, your your uh, total revenue go? Was there a change in that? So, because at the end of the day, you can you're yeah. still it's is is it just you or do you still have Bender? I have Bender. Yep, she's three okay. four days a week right now. 
Okay, yeah. so you're still it's, similar size crew, yeah. um, maybe a little bit lighter on the hours, um, mm -hmm. but like, where's the comparison um, after making the switch? Yeah, I, I'm gonna answer that in a metric that I have chosen to almost exclusively focus on, which is gross hourly rate. Okay. Because I think that tells a better story than the numbers and the, the way the million dollar businesses talk about it. That like means it. almost nothing to me, the way yeah. the way they talk about it. I want to know what a... my unit of time is worth. Right, right. Because otherwise we could say, I went from 100000 to 200000 but I added 10 employees. That doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah, it's the, that top line gotcha. number is so meaningless, it's not even funny. Okay. <laughs> so I, I, I highly encourage anyone who's at like our level or even one or two employees to only deal in gross hour. Um, I'm sorry. So let me define that. Because again, there's also like, there's all these like gross net things and you can hide from the truth. The hourly rate that I care about is I take, you take a job, you subtract materials and labor plus burden. You have a number. Divide that by the amount of hours I put into it that's the hourly rate that I care about. So, top okay, line. Do that. Do that once once more. Sure. So, top line gross revenue. Take out materials. Take out labor plus burden. Divide that okay. by the number of hours that Noah worked on that project. So divided by the owner operator hours. Correct. Yep. Okay. Because your employee hours have already been considered because you've paid, you've subtracted labor plus burden. Correct. Out of that. So I want okay. that number to be at least a hundred an hour. Okay. So what about, what about overhead cost? That's because within not... that. So that a so hundred an hour is pre overhead. Okay. Yep. So why why are you including pre overhead in that? Because overheads, I I guess I could figure out. It's easier. It's it. I guess it doesn't matter what number you use as long as you're consistent about mm -hmm. choosing how you use it. I don't know how much exactly off the top of my head to take out for overhead on that hourly. Is it eight dollars an hour? Because then so you have your annual overhead divided by the amount of hours worked in a year. I don't know how many hours I'm going to work in a year. Yeah, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not challenging you like there's a right or wrong. No, I'm no. not a business coach. I don't know. All I have is my numbers that I have. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that I have, like, like we'll, we'll continue down the path and then I'll kind sure. of explain the way that I'm looking at things. But yeah, go ahead. So yeah, yeah. We, take, we take gross revenue minus the job cost, which is labor and material of yep. our employees. Yep. Um, you're also incurred, uh, including the burden of the employees. So you're paying them payroll. So yep. that includes payroll taxes, workman's comp um, and, yep. and things like that. Yep. Um, and then, so essentially we have um, net, net profit, mm -hmm. or I'm sorry, gross profit divided by how many hours? Correct. Yep. Okay. So yep. that and if you want to get into is. percentages, my my like gross after like percentage of a hundred, I'm at yep. about seventy percent gross profit after I take out labor 
and materials. Materials for me are about 8% and labor is about 21%. I'm looking at a yeah. spreadsheet from this year. Right. So that's about 30. So I'm about 70% gross profit. Okay. Or I take out overhead, which for me is a small van payment, a little bit of insurance. Yep. Uh, some software, but it's, it's not much. <laughs> so you've done, you've done due diligence to where you've either already spent all the money on your tool budget and things like that. You don't have a shop. Nope. Um, and it's just, like you said, your transportation, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, general liability insurance. Yeah. If my overhead's 10 grand a year, I'd be surprised. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so that, that makes sense because you've, you're running a very lean company right now. Yep. Very lean. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. So, but that, the, the holy grail number for me is that number when I job cost every time needs to be at least a hundred dollars an hour. Yep. And that doesn't mean okay. I pay myself a hundred dollars an hour, but it means before some basic business business expenses and taxes come out, that's a hundred dollars an hour. Right. Okay. Okay. That's good. Which here's the thing. I don't know if that's good. I don't know if that's bad. It sounds good to me. It works for my lifestyle and my personal. At, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, um, th there's a, a podcast. It's called the wealthy contractor. It's this mm -hmm. guy in South, South Florida. And he says, revenues for vanity profits for sanity. <laughs> so before I say that's good, when you switch the model, so comparing to before the model, Yes. after the model yes do you did your lifestyle change did you elevate your lifestyle or do you have more money in your bank account yes both so okay. thank you for bringing so that, that back um so then i was doing it's a good mixed thing. hybrid stuff i was yeah. probably doing 60s 70s an hour uh using the same exact way to arrive at that number so i started okay. earning considerably more by niching down and yeah. that also I mean, came that's, with charging more that's 50 percent more um, uh, that's a 50% increase going from 60 to 70% or $70 an hour to a hundred dollars an hour. I mean, we're talking, you know, almost a 50% increase. So that's, yes. that's substantial. That's substantial. Yeah. yeah. And it's, okay. that was equal parts charging more and making those switches and narrowing scope. How, how difficult was it to fill your pipeline during this transition? Like that's. It's different. Not. It's, we have, I, I think Vermont is especially bad if you're a homeowner and especially good if you're a contractor right now. Um, I have consistently had an overabundance of high quality leads that I do not work for. And I know like every like marketer out there is going to be like bringing their knuckles in a butt. Like, well, I mean. It's just yes the way no. this market is, you know? Right. Yes and no, because I know, you know, essentially over the last, since COVID, yeah. or since, after the first three months of COVID, pretty much everyone that I've said, I've, I've talked to, like, the fish have been jumping into the boat. Yeah. If you haven't been busy, then, like, people just don't even know you're alive. Like, yeah. it's it's been like that. And right now, there's been a lot of talk about, like, is there a recession? Is there not a recession? It, it's just all of this government-funded money that's been thro thrown in for, for COVID um, payments and things like that, 
all the lockdowns are off. So all the money that people were spending on home improvements because they saved because they couldn't go on vacation, like now they're going on vacations again. So things are just normalizing for the most part. Um, in Florida, it's still absolutely insane yeah. uh, with the amount of building that's going on. Um, like we just don't have enough workforce to, to handle it. Yeah. Um, but I think things are just kind of like normalizing now. Um, that yeah. at least that's what I've been seeing. Um, I agree. I think we're at the tail end of like the insane amounts of liquidity that were pumped in to the economy right. during COVID. And I still think like some of these jobs where I'm like, why does anyone say yes to that price? It's like, they're playing with like cash out refi money from a year or two ago. Like I still think there's some of that super low interest rate, super high liquidity environment stuff reverberating around here. But right. who knows? Who knows? Um, Vermont also has a ton of incredibly wealthy out of state people moving in and buying up a lot. And, you know, they're used to prices that don't even make sense around here. Yeah. So we just have a tremendous amount of price insensitivity mm -hmm. as well. It's, it's a great place to be a contractor right now, but <laughs> to your original question, the pipeline's fine. Hey there. I bet business is probably picking up for you right now and things are feeling good. And using the right tools like Estimate Rocket can help keep it that way. Estimate Rocket offers professional estimates and proposals with digital signature, single source work orders for the entire team, lead to paid job management, full scheduling tools with mapping and time tracking, automated email campaigns, invoicing that exports to any accounting system, and deep data analysis reports. Go to EstimateRocket.com for a free 30-day trial to see if Estimate Rocket is a fit for you. Okay. Yeah. So what percentage of interiors were you doing before you made the switch? Yeah, they were just kind of a way for me to get through the winter, get a little cash, break even. I would basically, you know, doing exteriors, there are a lot of people who are like, do you do interiors in the winter? And I'd say, sure, yeah. And I'd just book them throughout the summer and then take care of them throughout the winter. It wasn't okay. something I was putting a ton of energy into. Um, so, so, yeah. Okay, so less than, less than 50% though, of, of jobs completed, not necessarily revenue. Sure. Yes. Yes. Both in a big way. Yeah. Because I also didn't know the potential for interiors back then. Right. Yeah. Okay. So before you made the transition, it's, it's April, May, someone calls you, says, Hey, I need an interior done. How does that conversation go at the beginning of the season? Uh, yeah, it's, do, uh, do you want to talk in October? <laughs> it, it was that. And most of them would say no, and that's fine. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So now you've made the change. Mm -hmm. Now you've made the switch. Your, um, what was, so what was the number that, you, how did you describe that? It was the gross profit minus the job cost and burden mm -hmm. divided by owner operator hours. Correct. What was the term that you gave that? It's like gross hourly, gross hourly. Cause that's technically, it's not net hourly cause overhead and Correct. all that stuff. So yeah, I don't know that there's an actual term. It's just what I have yeah. on my spreadsheet, which is loose. This is actually no. the first time I've talked about it. <laughs> no, I, I like it. I think it's, yeah. it's, it's 
because it, it's it's really hard when you're a solopreneur, you know, because you hear that you, you're you're supposed to spend ten percent up to ten percent on marketing, you're supposed to spend no more than thirty percent on labor. Fifteen mm-hmm. percent is the golden number when it comes to materials, yep. and then uh, somehow you're still supposed to be at forty-five um, percent uh, uh, um, gross profit, mm-hmm. but then you have all of these other bills that you have to pay, mm-hmm. and then you still have to pay yourself. And you know, owner uh, at the end of the day, you're supposed to be left with fifteen percent. Every time I do the math on that, it's 120 percent. Yeah, in in my numbers. Um, so I know for me, I'm a little bit um, overhead heavy with having a shop. But yes, sure. For all intents and purposes, having a shop for me is um, it's just really nice to have. I I enjoy having it. It's six thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. so five five hundred dollars a month. Yeah, it's. Is it really that big of a deal? That's yes, a, I could put that. That I could put that on the bottom line for sure. But then I'd also I wouldn't be able to do some of the projects as well as I'm doing them currently. You know, for sure. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So it, I mean, it, it's that trade off. I, I definitely could manage and be able to put put out a similar product mm-hmm. um, by by getting rid of my shop, but. It, it's hard to find a place like that. I mean, I think the cheapest place that I found before that was like $1,100 uh, a month. And that's just, I didn't have that kind of money. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's a great rate that you got. I mean, yeah. I couldn't and that includes close yeah, to that. That includes the parking spot. <sighs> okay. Yeah. So, um, I mean, does so, it yeah, justify? It's fantastic. I, I guess the question there is like, are you doing shop work that justifies the cost of it if so heck yeah <laughs> like yeah there's nothing wrong with that a paint contract with a shop is a valuable thing yeah yeah and and you know as i was uh as i had my w-2s that's where i was able to train them you know i didn't have to bring them to my house to do yep. you know to go through the um painter training on the pca overdrive i didn't have to do any of that we had a place that mm-hmm. we were able to meet it was safe i didn't have to bring it bring it home and now have it into my home life my wife works from home so like we didn't have to do any of that so to me that's where the value comes from absolutely um okay so i'm still kind of on this gross hourly sure rate yeah let's get in the weeds man so so what are you doing as far as marketing Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Everything's word of mouth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I think I finally hit the point where enough Google reviews have tricked the algorithm into having me come up higher because I'm getting a lot of just random Google calls now. And that didn't happen yeah. a few years ago. So, yeah. Are you, so you do, I know you do have a website. Yes. And do you spend any money on SEO? Not a bit. No, no, no. So your website hasn't changed at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And how this is just fascinating to me. I know. uh, Let me ask you this question. Do you think you could have done this transition in a different market? 
Some, yes, but with different levels of success. I think a, I think a lot of what I'm saying is applicable to anyone. I think how well it's working here is somewhat unique to here. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. that's kind of what I'm trying to wrap my head around. I know sure. in the past you've uh, you've expressed that you know Burlington is just such a different different market. Like the demographic, like how it all shakes out. It's just completely different from anywhere else that you've been. Um, yeah. I would imagine and, anywhere in northern climates, you know, that same exterior season is a boom and no one can get an interior done. I, I'd imagine there's good opportunity there. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, yeah. I think. Now, are you doing cabinet work too? Nope. Nope. <laughs> so nope. you've really pared down. Yep. Trim walls, ceilings. Yep. And look, I love me a nice, like, restore an old trim package, spray some eco satin on it, really spend some time massaging some old doors. Love it. I don't want to be in people's kitchens getting rushed in and out of there. It's, I'm not, I'm not optimized for it. So I don't want to do it. Anything right. I do, I want to knock people's socks off. I want to just ruin them from any other paint contractor for the rest of their lives. I haven't done that with, with cabinets yet, so I'm not touching them. Okay. So here, this brings up a good thought. Compare how, how long it took you to do um, your best interior before the switch mm -hmm. to the best interior that you're working on today. Time-wise. Timeline. So you're just asking for like duration of the project? Yep. All of mine before the switch were smaller, just a okay. couple rooms for people. And it was only after the switch that I started like, you know, doing entire plaster restorations and spending three weeks on just a trim package and seven doors in one hallway. Like, so it's, it's heavily biased towards after I made the switch. Uh, I so your time has increased since you made it? Yes. Yes. Okay. But your, um, your labor rate has also increased. Yes. So you're spending more time mm -hmm. and your clients are paying more per each hour of that time that you're spending. Considerably. Yeah. Considerably. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, that's interesting. And then the other thing is as far as prep goes, mm -hmm. Because you said you're at about 8% on material cost. Mm -hmm. That's low. It is. That's considerably low. Mm -hmm. um, how much, how much of, let's say you're on a job for, uh, you know, 10 days, so two mm -hmm. full weeks. How many of those days are you doing prep versus having a brush in your hand? I mean, depends on the scope, but like we were on a three and a half week project before this one I'm on and it was okay. ceiling walls trim built-ins, complicated trim package, and the, it was five rooms, and the trim color changed every single room. So oh. I think we were prepping for two odd weeks on that one of the three and a half. Yeah. This project I'm on right now, week and a half, no trim, just walls and ceilings. So we prepped for a day and a half. Nice. And now we're just painting. So it fluctuates wildly. Right. But the uh, the the level of prep, the amount of prep that you're doing mm -hmm. is going to significantly... 
and if you're charging for it, you're charging appropriately for it, mm -hmm. is going to significantly bring down your materials percentage. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Because I think we just prep a little more than average as a baseline. My baseline mm -hmm. process is sand everything down, plain exit down, knock as much stipple and old marks out of the trim as possible, even if they didn't ask for it. Like, that's that's our standard SOP at this point. So yeah. we're not just dusting it off and slapping a new coat on. Right. Well, everything up where you're at is level five. You have smooth walls. Uh, mm -mm. No? No. Are you thinking of, like, the Boston plaster? Well, not necessarily with, with plaster. I know. Oh, like, okay. I, you can have I that, but it, it, it's smooth versus here in Florida. I mean, they're starting, they went from doing light to heavy orange peels to now we, there's multi-family units that they're doing knockdown on the ceiling and the walls. Yes. I, I momentarily forgot that there was anything but just sheetrock with poorly uh, finished butt joints. And yes, we do not, we have zero knockdown, zero anything. We have yeah. uh, generally poorly finished sheetrock. Okay. Yeah. So that's where a lot of the, uh, like the planets will come in that you're able to help fill in the low spots, knock down the high spots mm -hmm. and then blend them in eventually. Yep. Yep. Okay, cool. Yep. Awesome. Um, My brain is like buzzing right now with so much stuff. <laughs> okay, so we've talked about uh, you know the finances, mm -hmm. um, how you're by paring down, picking a specific niche, which in your area, seasonality played a big factor for you. Um, yes. You wind up finding a niche that, um, especially in a given time of year, no one else was offering. So that made you the only guy pretty much to yeah. offer that and sure. to offer it at a high level. Um, we discussed that you've been able to keep your, to, to have more predictable sales because of that. Mm -hmm. And also, so essentially you're not doing the, um, the warm season rush anymore to where you're working from sunup to sundown, just trying to bang out as many exteriors to make like you said, a year's worth of wages or salary within right. six months, right? right? You're also able to charge more for each hour you work mm -hmm. because of that. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing that I picked up on is that you've also been able to elevate the level of craftsmanship that you're able to offer your clients, not only out of necessity for charging the right price or being able to charge that more, but also because that's part of who you are as an individual, right? Yeah, yeah. So we've talked about those things. Let's talk about the more intangible things, the mm -hmm. stuff that doesn't end with uh, a decimal and two zeros. Sure. What other changes have you noticed in your life? Um, and you don't have to get super specific if you don't want to, but just maybe generalities. Um, how has your life changed outside of work by making this switch? All right, I'm gonna bring up the real estate thing now. <laughs> um, okay. Part of my part of my thing, 
I, I, I put out some content on it. I'm going to do more once I start back in the swing of it. But part of the whole idea behind the maximized small operation is I think people might be surprised what they can make in a way where they can, you know, go bust it out and then take some time off or pursue other stuff because they've increased what they're making by so much that they they can work less, they can afford to work less or pursue other things. Um, for the past few years, a lot of what I've been thinking about is if this is my chosen line of work that I'm gonna do going forward, I need more of a safety net because if you don't make yourself one in this line of work, it doesn't exist. And even if you're only doing interiors, you're up on ladders, things are gonna happen. And yeah. You know, just an, a broader financial security to me has been a focal point for a while. And to come back to your question, what earning more, considerably more per unit of time over the past few years has allowed me to do is to buy a multifamily property and fix up the tenants unit, which I'm almost done with. And nice. that's going to be passive income next year. Right. And... I will ruin three weeks in a row to make enough to take the next two off to finish this unit and then have passive revenue coming in. And right. I think that this also gets back into the the broader as the solo small craftsperson. Is your time better spent scaling a business and swimming upstream if that's not you? Or maybe you put that extra effort into an investment property that you can cosmetically turn around because that's your inherent skill set and you're used to working right. like a banshee. I'd rather have several properties than several employees. <laughs> you know? Right. So that's, that's a long way of saying that's what's... Making those changes has allowed me the time to do other professional endeavors that I think are more in line with who I am and just a better a better opportunity for someone in my shoes Let, buy the asset don't build it everyone wants to right. build assets they already exist all around us and we're really good at fixing them up just buy one of those that's true <laughs> too that's true so yeah no i mean that that's a great point and you know that goes exactly in line to with what you said earlier as far as just being honest with what you want yeah yeah sorry to throw so, that much at you but that's that's the <laughs> no no and and i knew about i i knew you know because i follow you on instagram so i knew about um you know your property and having the the rental income and and things like that so i i was aware of that um and it's 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 a fantastic point because a lot of times we think or a, a lot of times you see somebody who's hyper successful in a certain venture and then they go out and they do another venture and then they wind up failing at that right mm -hmm. or you know now they're trying to juggle too many balls and now we're getting back into but for you you were able to um, figure out the right mix the right balance for those things and it's been fantastically self successful for you um, and it's only going to get better from this point once you have uh, a, t a tenant uh, living in there. So kudos to you. I think that that's fantastic. Um, and I think that's something that we really need to to think about 
um, as business owners. I had a, an episode early on, um, and it was called uh, The Entrepreneur Equation, and it was based mm -hmm. on the book uh, of the same title by Carol Ra. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe we, if, do you still have some time? I know we're yeah, creeping up no, on keep going, man. Yeah. All right. So, um, <laughs> how, what year did you start Entegree? So I went out on my own accidentally in 2013, I'd say. Nth okay. degree was born in 2018. Okay. So what, looking back at your journey now, mm -hmm. um, and we're really focusing on all those years where you're kind of doing a little bit of everything. Yeah. Um, what would you have done differently if you could have done all that back? Uh, niched down sooner and bought real estate sooner as much as I could manage. That is my biggest regret of the past 10 years that I didn't start buying properties back then. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. yeah, truly, yeah. I see the power in it, in it now and I'm glad I got this one I did, but if I could take anything back, I would do more of that. Nice, nice. Do you think that, um, because I think on your podcast you had interviewed, there was another um, painting contractor that's kind of in your area. It wasn't the Green Mountain Painter guys. There was another one. I think he was a oh, little Scott bit of Probably. He Scott was really big into coat. the paint talk and yes, all that. Yes, that was Scott. Yep. And he was yep. like a, a pseudo um, mentor to you. He's the OG. Paint talk. Yep. Okay. Yep. You had made a comment on his on your episode with him that when you started out, had you had known that his company was there, mm -hmm. you would have worked for him. I would have, yeah, yeah. Why did you say that? Like, go into that. Yeah, because at that age, like when 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 we were talking, that was right after I'd accidentally gone out on my own and just that whole collapse of the other company happened. And I was just floundering. I was like, what do I do? You know, and like, I I, I chose a path within that, like we talked about. I just mm -hmm. started over committing to things I couldn't <laughs> do at the time. Right. But I think it would have also been very valuable and I would have jumped at the opportunity then to work for someone who I actually respected because very few of the trades bosses I had growing up were people that were like stand-up people. Like they were yeah. volatile human beings who didn't know how to run a legal business, right? You know? So to work for Scott Burt would have been a big difference. And I think I was, I was seeking that and just disgruntled that I couldn't find it. So I just went out yeah. on my own. So what what type of things do you feel obviously you never worked for his company mm -hmm. but what type of things do you feel that you could have learned or would have gained from working for a company like that um versus learning because we talked about when you were doing all of these different uh skills and trades um all these different projects just taking anything that came across your plate mm -hmm. that you were learning a lot yeah. and that that was your trade school mm -hmm. but at the end of the day your bank account didn't reflect that there was 
there was any value gain, right? Nope. <laughs> no. um, so how, 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 how would you imagine that that would have played out differently? It's hard to extrapolate it out this far because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like that catch 22 of I'd change nothing because where I landed is great now, but it was a hard road to get there. You know, just speaking in like the, what I probably would have gotten out of it if it did happen was God, mentorship, perspective, a guiding hand, someone twice my age to be like, here, here, you young crazy, just go work on this. It's going to be okay, you know? Like, yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't know how familiar you are, or the, the listen, listeners are with his body of work in, in JLC, in all of the paint magazines, but he was the guy who was right. the lead authority and a great writer on so many fronts i mean he was like the og and like stain grade restoration around here like mm-hmm. i think under his wing i would have thrived but it didn't happen so yeah yeah that's true <laughs> yeah that's true it's just i i think you know talk thinking about because i've been thinking a lot about like how i'm going to do my next round of hiring mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of you know there's that notion there's no good people out there millennials don't want to work blah 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 at the end of the day the reason why that there's a skills gap is because there's no good employers out there there's not enough good companies out there to attract these people yeah um there's a reason why people are we're going in droves to companies like Apple and Google, you know, because they paid for all your meals when you were on campus and, you know, you did all these things. We can't say that people don't want to work hard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had the foosball machine, all these stuff that we heard about on the news. Um, but these people, the reason why Google and those large companies were doing these things was because that was their way of distracting people of saying, like, hey, we're going to get productivity out of you. You're going to be here for 80, 90, 100 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So let's let's put a gym here so that you don't have to leave. Let's let's put restaurants here so you don't have to leave. Sure. Like, obviously, we can't do that, those specific things. And we don't want people working out in the field 100 hours a week. That's mm-hmm. just no life for, for any of our employees. But what things can we do as as business owners to attract more people. And obviously you have, um, you know, you've had your guys that have worked with you. You've got Bender that's worked with you for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the other guy's name, but you got him from college painting or he was a college painter for you. Um, yeah. Oh, things, yeah. things like that. Yeah, oh, sure. and, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what things, what's missing to, to attract more people to, the painting industry or just trades in general yeah i mean i'm not that idealistic to think that there's going to be like trade schools popping up to to teach the story at least the finished trade so to your point it's up to business owners you're right and it's up to freaking champions like nick slavic to create robust coaching and hand-holding soft skills companies to do that and that it's tough right because he's a unicorn in his ability 
and willingness to do what he does every day. So to say the future of our trade working out well, because like it's gonna, the bottom part of our trade is gonna keep coming up in like toxic abusive relationships and just keep going like that. But like, if you're asking how is the good part of our trade gonna be perpetuated? It's, it's unicorns like Nick Slavic. And then, I don't know, people like me and you who are for whatever reason fall into this, make it into this, and are stubborn enough to keep going. But I don't know how many people we're hiring, you know? So it's, right. it's a tricky question. Does your business need more reviews? Nice job can help. Our reputation marketing platform automates review invites to save you time. Reviews are collected and distributed across major platforms such as Google, Facebook, and more. Turn your reviews into customer stories with photos that you can share across your social channels. NiceJob allows you to manage all of this within our platform. Start your free trial today. How, how much of an impact can we really have on yeah. a smaller level? You know, and but I, I think part of the issue too is that it is, it's career pathing because if you think of the career path that most painting co painting companies have, you know, and like again, like we said, there's you know ninety percent of them are less than twenty employees or e even greater than that. Mm -hmm. You have apprentice, craftsperson, business owner. Like that's that's the career path. Like yeah. we how how do we get more? Um, more more job positions on the on the in between. That, yeah, that's to offer that you need a large scaled place right. that's dynamic with leadership training and middle management and this and that. You basically need to build a corporation. You basically need, yeah. need Apple without the giant headquarters. <laughs> but like, um, but that's yeah. This is an interesting. This is a tricky way to get. Because, I don't know, do you feel like most of even, like, the really good, respectable, small shows in this country are prepared to create that? Prepared? Definitely not. Um, but back to your original point, mm -hmm. are they... Are they best suited to do that? That's a better way to ask it. Yes. Yeah. Y you know... So I, I guess I guess what I've been kind of dealing with and, and like battling in my head is just like at some point in order for for these things to actually happen, like if you were able to make similar amount of money that you're making now mm -hmm. working for a lot like if Nick called you and said, Hey man, I'm opening a, a, a new place in, in Vermont Nick Slavic painting of Vermont and you know a company like that I mean before you made the transition to doing solos or to doing just interiors mm -hmm. would that have been a possibility or working for um, uh, you know the paint talk guy you know work doing something like that to be able to to still accomplish your goals but now you have less stress you're focused you know whether you're an operations manager 
or a production manager doing something like that to where you can still be somewhat hands-on you're not having to really do the things that you're not enjoying the back office stuff the sales stuff i was on i was on one of the forums uh last month and someone said oh i'm venturing out on my own um but i really hate to do sales um you know what what um I, and i don't want to do any of the back office stuff like <laughs> what who should i hire first should i hire an office manager or should i hire a salesperson and it's like if you hate Ooh. sales why are you doing this yeah. you, you know like yeah. that person would be primed to work for someone who's really good at sales and yes. doesn't and, and and doesn't know the operations necessarily they'd be a great operations manager and now yeah. they're both able to thrive in in um I, I, the only thing that's coming to my mind right now is the soil that is, is perfect for them, right? Yeah. Um, so, so I guess that's kind of my question to you is could could that have been a possibility for you? Is is that something that the solopreneur should consider at, at some point? Is is consolidation or uh, partnering up with, with another um, someone who doesn't mirror them, you know, because now you got two people strong in sales, operations is going to lag, or two people strong in operations, sales is going to lag, sales and marketing. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's absolutely worth consideration. Um, I don't know that it pays to be so single-minded in who you are and what you do that you wouldn't uh, consider a good opportunity if it came across your table. Um, yeah, look at Estimator Andy. Yeah. I mean, he, he was absorbed by Nick Slavic, and it sounds like that's working out great for both of them. And right. he was, a, I believe he was solo. I don't think he had any employees. So he knew how to sell. He knew the industry. That's a perfect fit. He probably has a better mm -hmm. lifestyle. He works within a structured organization. Like, I've met him. He's a great guy. And right. Nick loves him. He's, it's a good fit. So, yeah, I know we keep going back to the unicorn example right now. Um, yeah which i don't know if that's but helpful I, but if it, it it is and it isn't helpful it, it's helpful because uh now we know that it is a possibility mm -hmm. um but to be completely frank he's the only person probably in the industry who has been as transparent as he is about everything mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. no one else allows you that far into their business into their everything like yeah. the, the way that he does um, sure. and that's just part of his platform um that's part of his nature um i guess um and it, i think it's fantastic and it's inspired a lot of people um but we also have to kind of go back to like what our um i mean there was a time that you were saying that you needed to scale right yeah, when I thought it was my only way to be successful in this industry. And that was a false premise. Because was that it was a was it a false premise or was it that you had the wrong definition of success? Uh it was that I was not I didn't have the imagination to think about a different path that got me more money and a better lifestyle in this trade. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have any obvious examples talking about it in the industry because our level isn't celebrated as a successful way to be. 
So, so yeah, I, it was what was being presented as like the next thing to do, and it seemed like the right call. And then I did it, and it wasn't. It wasn't so, a disaster, but I I right. realized it wasn't my best path forward in this industry in this career path. It wasn't the best use of your resources. Correct. Correct. And as I looked, you know, you kind of look ahead and there's something about it. It's like, okay, so I grind out the first several employees before I can get like the first PM. And then, but you're playing this like, there's, it feels like when people are talking about this, there's almost this scarcity mindset where you get your unicorn employee and then, and then oh, you better double that. You better get another because if they leave, then you need a fallback. And then, okay, you, you grind it out. You get a couple. You can hire a project manager. Oh, but now what if that project manager leaves? You got to double that. And it feels like this self-perpetuating thing where the only rational thing to do at each stage is to keep doubling and getting bigger and getting bigger. And just mm -hmm. something about that. It's not appealing to right. never feel like, secure that it's enough. That sounds like it's 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 growth for growth's sake. Yeah, but it, I mean, it's also rational because once you start having unicorns, then like, yeah, you don't want them to leave. You want to replicate them and help. You want them to help replicate themselves before uh, something else goes on. But you know, again, back to the real estate thing, you can develop an employee so well and they're still just a human being that's going to change their mind or move or get other priorities yeah. and the house is still yours you bought the asset i'd rather yeah. put that time and money into an a structure that i have a deed to than a human right. who will inevitably inevitably move on that i will always be from an owner perspective strategically thinking about cloning and having redundancies in this and that right so <laughs> I like it. I like it. No, it's definitely a, a, a different line of thinking, a different line of thought. Um, part of like the ethos of the podcast we talked about earlier, what the heart behind it was. Um, but part of that is like I don't want to interview people who are, um, you know, the business owners who are doing, you know, one, two, three, four, six, seven, eight million dollars. Mm -hmm. Like I want to be interviewing guys like us, the solopreneur running one, maybe two crews, if that small crews. Um, and like, let's talk about like what our pain points are and, and, and what stumbling blocks we, and either what we're dealing with, let's talk it out, hash it out, start the conversation or things that we've solved and, yeah. and how, how our lives have changed for that. And for you to go from doing everything, um, and anything because you loved it, you loved the problem solving, um, you loved a lot of it. I'm sure if my wife's listening to it, she's like probably thinking that I'm describing myself right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, paring down to just being so focused on your niche and redefining what success looked like for you. Yeah. Like what a game changer that was for you, right? Yeah, well put. That's exactly it. Yeah. yeah. And it was scary. That's not to say it wasn't scary. No, no. And, and it's a process too. It's not like overnight you're doing it because here you've probably no, I mean, if, if you and I are similar, you probably did tons of research on scaling and, and human resources and 
like mm -hmm. how to develop and training and all of these different things. Oh my God. Right? Yeah. yeah. Countless hours, mm -hmm. countless nights spent up writing SOPs and doing all of these different things, which are still important when you're a solopreneur. Yes. Like, I'm, I'm not knocking that. I think no. it's super important because at the very least, you're taking all of this stuff that's just swirling in between your ears mm -hmm. and you're putting it on paper. And now you're able to either relax and take a step back or focus on the next best thing, right? And I'm glad you said that too, because it's like, it's, it, I hope it doesn't sound like we're like dogging on some of the people who are like preaching really good stuff in the industry. I couldn't have done anything I'm doing without job costing obsessively to the penny. I have a perfect SOP document for how we do interiors right. that was invaluable in teaching Bender. Like I do all the things. I just stopped at the point of adding more people and did a different thing instead. But that foundation right. stuff, that's the same. We have to do almost all of that other stuff. Yeah. No, I mean, it's still all part of running a business. And what if you weren't job costing and you wound up paring down and you pared down on something different? Yeah. Do you think that doing RRP jobs or doing exteriors would would you have been able to make this transition probably would would the results have been the same probably not right because mm -hmm. again yeah. we're talking about we, we talked about how you eliminated the weather variable completely mm -hmm. all year round you don't have to worry about rain sleet hail snow none of it no nope. you're inside nope. yep so yep. yeah that's that's that, that's really really powerful and i think so going back to is yes there's a lot of podcasts out there and there's a lot of information on scaling and and moving up quickly and things like that and in this season right now that you're in mm -hmm. you've identified that that's not what you want that's not what you need to do to consider yourself a success no and that's fantastic maybe for someone else in, in another season or maybe you're in a different season and you decide that you want to scale that's something that you can revisit totally but the systems are still important to have in place in order to achieve these things so that you know it's it's not just about doing your best it's about knowing the best thing to do and then do your best at it you got to know the right thing to do right 100 um, and i think I think that's that's really important. And I also want to be able to highlight that while while scaling is a good thing for the right person at the right time or for the right business at the right time, we also need to highlight that there's other paths to the painting industry besides running, you know, going from a million, you know, a solopreneur to or from uh, an apprentice to a craftsperson, to a solopreneur, like mm -hmm. there's more, more in that. I interviewed um, Kayla Jordan, um, the herbal painter NH, uh, a yep. couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. uh, we got great traction on um, on that episode. But this is right, let's uh, do it. That was a good one. She she it, wow, she was amazing. I've yeah. always been impressed by her work, mm -hmm. and for her to uh, surprisingly. Unintentionally go down the path that she went down. Like, we need to highlight more of those stories. And she has developed a life for herself and built a life for herself to where she doesn't have to be a 
painting business owner. Yeah. But she still is able to do the things that she loves and enjoys and yeah. still have a great life. Yeah. 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 So no, this is awesome. Um, Noah, uh, is there anything that I didn't ask that you wish I would have asked? No, no, that's okay, a good question. Good. All right. We're going to do a lightning round real quick. Sure. Um, and then, and then I'll give you the opportunity to share with how people can, uh, get a hold of you if they have want to continue the conversation with you. Okay. Um, so speed round, I'm still kind of working at this. So be patient with me. Of course. Um, I'll ask you a couple questions. Um, just first thing off the top of your head, give me an answer. Try to answer it in, in a word or a sentence or less. Deal. All right. So tape or no tape? Tape. Okay. Um, Festool or Merca? Festool. Okay. Um, oh, do you like your paint shaken or stirred? <laughs> Depends how long ago I bought it from the shop. <laughs> I think that's the best question I've ever asked. <laughs> that one caught me. I was like, whoa, wait. <laughs> I, think, I think I've officially added that to our uh, lightning round. 100%. Um, yep. And then uh, last question, W2 or 1099? W2. Nice. Cool. Awesome. Noah, how can the people reach you? Well, I can't sit, tell you the last time I posted on Instagram, but I am on there. I check DMs. Uh, my local business, Nth Degree Painting, is at Nth Degree Painting. And then the, the podcast page where I talk to the industry more is at Advice from Young Tradesmen. And awesome. that's also the name of the podcast that I haven't done for about a year either. Yeah. Well, the first, I think you had two seasons on there? Uh, or three? Almost three. Yep. Almost three. Yeah, because you had your two monologue teaching ones and then you mm -hmm. had the one that was more um you were going for more like a modern craftsman podcast style right yep yep With just the, experimenting uh, keeping the experiment going the 3x base 3x base yep kind yeah. of loop yep no that was awesome get back on it we miss you on there um, i'm i will be back soon i promise yeah, if you don't know who Noah is, hopefully you know a little bit more about him now. Um, Noah is a wealth of information, uh, very well spoken, very well thought out um, in everything he says. Um, it's well worth the follow. I know you haven't been active lately, but uh, definitely follow him. If you're on PCA Overdrive, uh, check out the original seasons of Advice from a Young Tradesman. Um, and then you can also check it, I'm assuming on like Spotify and uh, yeah, things like everywhere that. There. Yep. Um, you also have a YouTube channel. You want to plug that real quick? Yeah, it was for a while. I was doing a lot of videos when I was still doing like really niche, uh, kind of weird one-off exterior stuff. Anything that I would get a ton of DMs about based on stories. I just made a, like a half hour, like an obnoxiously detailed video on it. So, uh, yeah, plaster restoration, a lot of Armstrong Clark deck stripping, just really niche stuff. I go down rabbit holes. Yeah. Yeah. It's an awesome channel. Um, <laughs> you definitely, I, I enjoy it. That's the way that I learn um, is just getting into the details, getting into the nitty gritty. Um, it, it's just fantastic. And Noah, you've been uh, a pleasure to have on on 
on our humble podcast. I really appreciate you uh, taking time out of your schedule to uh, to be here to share some of your knowledge. Um, and um, I just I really enjoyed our time together. So I appreciate hey, you. Likewise, thank you very much for the invite. And yeah, let's do it again. Awesome. Awesome. Have a good one. You too. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.